Chapel, Mason City. In Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, two things are addressed here, the role of children in the Christian home and the role of fathers. Chapter 6, verse 1 says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Father, as we approach the word, make it speak to us, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Outline is very simple. There's two parts to it, the role of children and the role of fathers. Verses one through three, the role of children. Verse four, the role of fathers. Kind of the main point of this text, since Christ made it possible for us to know our heavenly father and understand his plans for the family, we should be filled with his Holy Spirit and follow the roles that he has set for us. Because God has graciously made known to us his will for the family, we ought to be filled with the Spirit and fulfill these roles that he has in the family. And we're going to learn about two of these today, the role of children and uh, the role of fathers. We do, we not too many children in here, uh, you know, but uh, hopefully the Lord will speak to us. If you're a parent here today, it's going to speak right to you as well because, um, you know, the next section not only applies to fathers, but it applies to, to parents as well. The first part of the outline, the role of children. First of all, let's see the command to children. Look at it there. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Some of you are wishing you brought your kids today. You're like, see, I wish they, <laughs> wish they were here to hear this. So he says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. The command obviously is to children. The Greek word translated children is the word tekna, which means young children living at home. So if, if you're living at home and you're not an adult, you could consider this applies to you. He says, obey your parents. Now the word obey in the Greek, it's a compound word. It's hupa akuo. The word akuo sounds like the word acoustics. It's where we get the word acoustics, right? And hupa means under. So it literally means to hear under. So the idea is to be obedient, to hear what your parents say and to place yourself underneath of it. So when he says obey your parents, it's literally to hear under, to submit to the things that they say. This is a command to constant habitual obedience. Not only are children to obey, but it's obviously implied here that parents are to teach their kids what to obey. If God is saying, kids, you need to obey, it's obviously implied that parents are to train their children in what to obey. Children are to be taught obedience according to the Word of God. Now, just a quick show of hands. Has anybody ever had to teach a kid to be disobedient? Have you ever been like, oh, my kids are just too good. I, I just need to teach them some disobedience. If you do, you deserve to be locked up if you've done that, <laughs> you know. No, of course nobody teaches kids to disobey. They need to be taught and trained to obey. Adam and Eve took care of the whole disobedience part, and we've inherited that as people, as humans, and so, of course, kids need to be taught to obey. Let me talk about what this does not mean to start with, what this does not mean. It's kind of helpful to get uh, that idea first. It needs to be said that children should never obey a parent that calls them to sin in any way. 
it's too bad to have to say this, but in 2023, we live in a world where some parents abuse children, some sell them into sex trafficking. It's just huge in America. You wouldn't believe it. South America, even worse. You name it. If there's a sinful thing that parents can do to children, they do it in 2023. And so what this is not saying is that a child should submit to abuse or sin in any sort of way in their home. If a parent is asking a child to sin, what you should do is the, the child should go, you know, tell some other adult, somebody responsible, tell the police if it's illegal, something like that. A child is never to obey a command to sin or submit themselves to abuse of any kind. He, he ends that sentence, he says, obey your parents in the Lord. Now, in the Lord does not mean that a child is only to obey a Christian parent. Built into all parent-child relationships is the place of obedience. And so when he says in the Lord, he means that children should obey parents with the attitude that they are obeying the Lord. In the home, when you are a child and you're looking to your parent, to your authority figure, you should be obeying them. Children should be looking at the parent as the authority figure. And when they're young, they, they see that as they're obeying God in how they obey their parents. Now, let me talk to you for a second about the seriousness of obedience, the seriousness. Mark chapter 7, verse 10. This is Jesus talking about this same concept. He's talking uh, in a discourse in Mark, and he repeats this commandment from the Old Testament. And he says, honor your father and mother, and he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. So if a child curses their parents in the Old Testament time, they were to be put to death. In fact, let me read from Deuteronomy chapter 21, verses 18 through 21. If you're a Bible flipper and want to go there, Deuteronomy chapter 21, verses 18 through 21. Listen to what this says. He says, if a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and who, when they have chastened him, will not heed them. In other words, when he's been corrected, he won't listen. Then his father and his mother shall take hold of him and bring him out to the elders of his city, to the gate of his city. And they shall say to the elders of the city, this son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He's a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of his city shall stone him to death with stones. So you shall put away the evil from among you and all Israel shall hear and fear. There are many kids today that are so grateful that they didn't grow up in ancient Israel, right? We have a hard time relating with that culture, but God was so serious about society not getting corrupted. God knows that when the, parent, when the kid starts to disobey the parents, eventually those kids are going to be adults that are going to be disrespectful. They're going to be not submitted to the Lord. And the whole culture goes down uh, the, the, the tube, so to speak, when the children are allowed to be disrespectful to the parents, right? And so they had a real strict policy for dealing with that in ancient Israel. I'll tell you, if I grew up in ancient Israel, I'd have been in trouble. <laughs> I'd have got stoned to death like, you know, it wouldn't have taken long. I was a bad kid. Parents, okay, when you insist on your children's obedience, you are fulfilling Scripture. When you, for whatever reason, do not insist that your children obey you, you are not only setting them up for great difficulty in life, you are going against God's calling on your life. When a child becomes an adult, their obedience to God 
is expected. And what a child learns about being obedient to authorities in their home growing up transfers over to what they think about obedience to God later in life. So you have this huge responsibility as parents to insist on obedience. And if you don't do it, you're setting your kids up to be disobedient to authority and to God the rest of their life. It's incredibly important. So there we have the command the children obey your parents. Now he gives four reasons for obedience in the rest of verse 1 through verse 3. Here are the four reasons. Obedience is right. It is scriptural. It leads to well-being. It leads to long life. He says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. So it's literally the right thing to do. In the very fabric of family dynamics, there exists a fundamental principle where the younger, less experienced, and impulsive members should humbly obey the authority of the older, wiser parents. It's just built in. It's just right. Why should a kid be the leader in a home? It it shouldn't be like that. The adult, it's just right. The fact that it says, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right, what this reveals is that this is beyond what is expected of kids in culture, school, or society. Being obedient to parents is right in the eyes of God. So you might think, oh, my kid's just disobedient, you know, like, I don't know, I don't know what they're going to do. Eventually, they're just going to grow up. Maybe they'll just grow out of it. Well, I'll tell you, while they are being disobedient to their parents, they're doing something that is not right in the eyes of God. Again, if a parent does not insist on their children's obedience, they're allowing something that God would say is not right. The next reason here, obedience is scriptural. Look at verse 2, please. He says, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. So the next reason uh, that's given here is that obedience to parents is scriptural. This Old Testament quote here is found in Exodus chapter 20, and I'm sure you know it's in the the Ten Commandments where he says, uh, have no other gods before me, make no graven images to worship them, do not take the Lord's name in vain, observe the Sabbath to keep it holy, honor your father and mother, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness about your neighbor, do not covet other people's possessions or their lives. It's the fifth commandment in the Ten Commandments. He says, honor your mother and father. Now, the word honor in Greek, it means to estimate or to fix the value of something. So when he says, honor your father and mother, the child is to estimate the value of their parent. You know, they're fixing this value on them saying, you're the authority and I'm to be obedient to you. That's what it means to honor. It means to affix the appropriate value to that authority figure. Because the child properly understands their parents' place and position, they obey them. I remember when I was growing up, I used to hear this a lot more than, I don't know if you hear it as much today, but have you ever, do you remember when you used to hear uh, somebody say, like a dad would say to their kid, when the kid was being disrespectful to the mom, they'd say, don't you talk to your mother like that, you know, or don't you talk to adults like that. Do you remember when that used to be, that was even when I was a kid, I'm 45, 44. Even when I was a kid, it was like, you were not supposed to talk to adults in a disrespectful way. 
And there were times even when parents would say, hey, you're, you're to be seen and not heard right now, you know, because you're here to be respectful. Or do you remember a time when a good mother would, would say, don't you ever speak to your father like that. That's your father. In fact, one time, <laughs> my grandfather, because he was like a dad to me, he came, oh my goodness. I, one time I called my mom the B word. Beautiful. No, I'm just kidding. It wasn't that B word. I, I called my mom the B word one time. And uh, my grandfather, he made me, you remember that paper that used to have the, you'd pull the sides off of it because it was copier paper and you'd pull the string things off, you know, the sides. He had a whole box of that. And he made me write 1,000 times, I will not call my mom the B word. And every day I came home from school and sat down and wrote. I had the gray pencil all over the side of my hand, carpal tunnel. I'm still crippled today. I can't pick anything up. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but that's how serious that was to that generation. My grandfather served as my father, you know, and he said, you never talk to your mother like that. You never talk to an adult in a snarky way. You just, you don't do that. That's commended. That's applauded today that, you know, it's, it's, celebrated sarcasm and disrespect. There's a Doritos commercial where this mom is uh, bringing home the groceries. She's got two bags and her little kids are sitting in the front yard, probably like nine and 10. And she says, uh, get up and help me carry the groceries. And these kids in this Doritos commercial say, get it yourself. That's in a Doritos commercial. Are you kidding me? My grandpa would have had the razor strap out. Anyhow. Yeah, I can't believe that some parents allow their children to talk to them, uh, how they allow them to talk to them and other adults, and the child is in sin doing it, and the parent is also in sin for not correcting it. He goes on to say, so that reason is it's scriptural, that you're to honor your mother and father. You're to have respect for these people in your life. You're to affix the appropriate value on them. The next thing is, is uh, obedience helps you to have well-being. Look at it there. It says, that it may be well with you in verse 3. That it may be well with you. So obedience is most times in the best interest of the child. You see, kids that receive no correction, they have a great battle ahead of them just to become functioning members of society. Jails are filled with kids that never learned how to respect authority. Very difficult for someone to learn the discipline later in life that they were supposed to receive at home. Very difficult if they ever learn it. Obedience promotes well-being in the life of a child. Self-control is probably one of the most important things that a person can possess in life. Self-control, it affects everything. It affects how they take care of their body. It affects the sort of jobs they're able to handle. It affects the amount of success they'll have in life, the amount of money they'll be able to make. Self-control needs to be taught at home first. It needs to be taught in these foundational years or else it's incredibly hard to, de to develop that later on in life. So obedience leads to uh, this well-being. Look at the next thing. It says, this is the fourth reason, and he says, and you may live long on the earth. Um, you may live long and prosper. 
Just kidding, that was a Star Trek joke for you guys that are... <laughs> Now, where it says you may live long on earth, obviously this is a generality, right? So, I mean, things can happen. He's making a general statement. But in a general sense, at least a few things are true. Living long, you know, you could probably make a connection between wise decision-making and living a long life. Proverbs 4.4 says, let your heart retain my words, keep my commandments, and live that's the purpose, that's the point that he's getting across in Proverbs there. He says, if you follow wisdom, you'll probably make wiser decisions. And, you know, statistically, I'm sure that that will contribute to a longer life. Here's a simple illustration. If parents discipline their children to eat healthy, chances are they will repeat that when they are older, leading to a longer life than those who eat junk food they will no doubt have fewer health issues. I remember when I was young, and uh, when I lived with my mom, I had zero discipline because my mom had Crohn's disease and she was not able to do anything so I could do whatever I wanted. And I would get home from school, and man, I would sit down and watch Yogi Bear, and uh, then I'd watch DuckTales, and I would sit in this chair and take a whole box of peanut butter Captain Crunch, man, and I would eat that whole thing in like one sitting. Terrible for you, right? Like high fructose corn syrup, carb, like two million grams of carbohydrate, you know, like 50 grams of sugar. And, you know, she's like, I wonder why he's got these, you know, behavior issues, you know, and things like that. And then I'd go to my aunt and uncle's house, solid Christians, and I'd go over there, and when it came snack time, they'd give us like raisins. <laughs> I don't want raisins. I'd be looking around in their cupboards like... I don't have any chocolate or anything, you know? But I will tell you what, I had the blessing of seeing my cousins that grew up in that house a couple weeks ago at my grandma's funeral. And they're all really super healthy. <laughs> you know what I mean? They don't have any health issues, no weight issues, super disciplined. Their kids eat the same way. Kind of interesting. And, and that's, I think, the concept here is he's saying, you know, following good wisdom leads to a longer life. That's just one simple example. Another, a child that heeds a parent's teaching to not have sex before marriage. They're far less likely to contract a sexually transmitted disease. One in four teenagers that's sexually active has a disease in this country. One in four. We have four teenagers probably in this church at times. And so if they're sexually active, then you could get herpes and you have herpes the rest of your life. You bring it into your marriage. Your kids probably get it. You see how following wisdom and parents that insist that their kids follow and obey wisdom, you see how that helps them for their whole life? That's what he's getting at here. It is true in a general way that a life of discipline and obedience promotes health and longevity, whereas a life of rebellion and recklessness often ends prematurely. A society of people that cannot be obedient to wisdom, who cannot discipline themselves to live wise, healthy lives, they're not going to live long on the earth a culture like that. Paul warned about a day that would come like this, 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 3. He says, but know this, that in the last days which we're in, he said, perilous times will come for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good. 
It sounds like a description of people that didn't learn to obey their parents or obey God when they were in the home. And Paul says in the last days, it'll just be rampant with people like that. No discipline, disobedient to parents. We look at our culture today and 109,680 overdose deaths in 2022. Heart disease, which is largely connected to diet, major killer, number one killer in the United States. Gun deaths among children went up 50% between 2019 and 2021. 50% in two years. The average age of first exposure to pornography in this age is 11. In this country, there are 116,000 requests for child pornography daily on the internet. These are 116,000 people go to the internet to look for child pornography daily. In this country, United States is the number one consumer of child pornography. This stuff is related all back to the family unit where people were not taught to obey and control themselves. It's all linked back to the family. Now here comes the balance to Paul's teaching, which the Bible's full of this. So he gives the, he gives the command to the children and now he's going to talk to parents. Verse 4, here's the role of the father, but it could be applied to parents also. He says, And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. So let's notice, first of all, who the command is to. It is to fathers. It applies to parents in general, but he's talking to fathers here today. If you're a father, it's Father's Day. It's a, this is a beautiful day for you. This is encouragement. I want to talk to you about the effect of a father's faith on their children's faith. Here's a study done by Lifeway back in 2017. You guys familiar with Lifeway, a Baptist organization? It's a legitimate study. That's why I mentioned that. Here's the first fact. If a father does not go to church, even if his wife does, only one child in 50 will become a regular worshiper. One in 50. If a father does go regularly, regardless of what the mother does, between two-thirds and three-quarters of their children will attend church as adults. That is staggering. Regardless if the mom even goes to church, if the dad alone goes to church, two-thirds and three-quarters of the children will attend church as adults. If a father attends church irregularly, between half and two-thirds of their kids will attend church with some regularity as adults. If a mother does not go to church but a father does, a minimum of two-thirds of their children will end up attending church. In contrast, if a father does not go to church but the mother does, on average, two-thirds of their children will not attend church. That's staggering, isn't it? The, the dad has this massive, massive impact on the kid's faith. The, the mother's effect on a child's faith doesn't even compare to how important the father's role is when it comes to a child's faith. There's another one. Another survey found that if a child, this, I love this one. Oh my goodness. It makes me think of Corey. He's not here today, but 
Another survey found that if a child is the first person in a household to become a Christian, there is a 3.5% probability everyone else in the household will follow. So the kid gets saved in Sunday school, house full of pagans, goes home, 3.5% chance that they'll get saved. If a mother is the first to become a Christian, there is a 17% probability that everyone else in the household will follow. That's pretty good. However, if the father is the first person to get saved in the house, there's a 93% probability that everyone in the house will follow. Wow. I just was saying with Corey, I mean, you got Corey and then his dog, you know what I'm saying? The whole house here, 93%, you know, that's, I'm praying for that. The importance of a father on spiritual life of their children cannot be overstated. It's interesting that Mother's Day is one of the, it's like number two most attended church day in the United States, Mother's Day. Father's Day is one of the least attended church days in the United States. Now, there's probably other factors. One's during school, one's not. But certainly telling about Mother's Day, though, isn't it? The stats show that moms are saying church is important. So kids are showing up on Mother's Day. It's safe to say, fathers, if you want your child to have a relationship with Jesus Christ their whole life, you are the most important person to affect it. What a joy and what a privilege, right? Here's the command to fathers. He says, do not provoke your children to wrath. Colossians 3.21 says, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. So the word provoked, it just means to rouse to wrath, to provoke, to exasperate, to anger them. Growing up, I lived with my grandfather for a while, I lived with my mother for a while, then I lived with my father for a while. And I had a very interesting dad. He could be funny and sort of nice at times, but most times he was really sarcastic and he was really distant and he was drunk and he was abusive. He's dead now as he took his own life back in 2007. He was incredibly abusive to my mother and my stepmother. My stepmom always told me, though, as she was defending him, that my dad got really damaged by his stepfather. Apparently his mother, my dad's mother, my grandmother, Mary Lou, she was like a Southern debutante, like a fancy lady. And uh, she married this extremely rigid, disciplined airport, you know, Air Force, you know, extremely rigid, violent guy when my dad was in his late teens. And by that time, my dad was like, a, you know, he was a musician, he was very artsy. John Lennon was like his idol, you know. But his stepdad thought that that needed to be beaten out of him because, you know, he needs to get a job and, and, you know, work with his hands and stop messing around with this music stuff. And so every day when my dad would come home from school nearly, this guy would put him to work and he would fight with him and he would discipline him and he would put overly tedious rules and regulations upon his life and he provoked my dad to anger. And I'll tell you, when I met him when I was six years old, one of my memories with him is I can recall about my eighth birthday. I was there with my friends and sitting at the table and I was about to eat my birthday cake with three of my friends around the table with me, but I had forgotten to put my napkin in my lap. 
And so my dad sent me to my room for the rest of the day while all my friends and everybody you know, ate my cake. And uh, that was just one example. Another time I didn't rinse the bathtub out after I took a shower and I got grounded for a month for that. And see, this is, it carries on this stuff. And this is the exact picture of provoking to, to wrath, provoking a child to become uh, discouraged. I mean, you contrast that with my grandfather, right? He had me write out a thousand times that I wouldn't call my mom a B-word. But I, my grandfather was completely grace-giving. He was the nicest guy in the world. But my dad had these tedious little, like, unrealistic punishments, all this different stuff. And it was, like, insane, you know? Because he'd been warped, you know, from that sort of environment. In fact, I don't think I finished all 1,000 times with my grandpa. I think I got the point eventually. How are fathers, uh, what are some ways that they provoke their kids? Well, excessive criticism can be one. Another is unrealistic expectations, setting unreasonable goals that can create pressure and stress. I remember one time my dad told me if I got straight A's on everything, that he'd buy me any guitar that I wanted. And it's like, man, I, w I was like a D student, you know? And then, so unrealistic expectations. It's like, I, there's no way I can get straight A's. Are you kidding me? You know, and he didn't have any intention of buying me a guitar, you know? So uh, excessive criticism, unrealistic expectations. Another way fathers provoke their children to wrath, to discouragement, being emotionally distant makes a child feel unimportant. Overbearing control, being overly controlling can lead to rebellion. Favoritism, you're favoring one child over the other in a visible, obvious way. Verbal or physical aggression, uh, lack of understanding, ignoring what's really going on in your child's heart and just like not connecting with the way they feel about things. Absenteeism, being emotionally or physically absent, showing no interest in your children can cause feelings, again, of abandonment. Comparison with others. Well, you know that neighbor kid, man, he surely mows everybody's lawn so nice. He has a job. Unfair or unexplained punishments. They should not, fathers should not provoke their children to anger with unreasonable demands, with undue harshness, with constant nagging. Rather, here comes the positive. They should bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Bring them up, just, that's a word for rearing them, nourishing them, providing physical and spiritual needs. This is not simply scolding when a child does something wrong. It's teaching, encouraging, correcting, training to be obedient to the rules of the home and to the scriptures. This is the father's role. Makes me think of TV sitcoms when I grew up. About the only time that the dad gets involved in a TV sitcom is when the kid's like, what? You know, like, don't make me go tell your father, right? Because he's sitting in his armchair and, you know, doing nothing but like watching TV and drinking or something like that. And then the, the shows always project dads like that, right? Do you remember those? Not all of them. I mean, Growing Pains, that guy was like really involved, you know, but that's kind of the culture though, right? It's like, don't let me tell your father. So all, all the dad is, is this guy that you have to wake up out of his armchair to come in and maybe just discipline for a minute. And then he goes back to his man cave, right? Like that's a bad image. Fathers are to be involved with training and encouraging all these other things where it says in the training, that word is literally child discipline. It refers to the complete process of training and educating children. It involves developing their minds and morals. And this can be achieved through various methods, 
giving instructions, advice, corrections, punishments when necessary. The goal is to help children grow and become responsible individuals with good character to be solid Christians. The word there, training, is translated chastening in the book of Hebrews. And so it has to do with training with a view to discipline. Punishment has its place in the life of developing obedient children. We all know the feeling of being around families where the kids are completely in charge running things. You ever been to a house like that before where it's clear that the kids are in control and it is just chaotic? It's not how God designed things. That's why it's chaotic. Proverbs 19.18 says, Chasten your son while there is still hope, but do not set your heart on his destruction. That's a good balance right there. You're not trying to destroy him. You're trying to chasten him and teach him discipline so you don't ruin them for later. The opposite's true too. Isn't it so refreshing when you go around kids that are so well-behaved and respectful? You're just like, well, geez. <laughs> Somebody put some love and care into you. At my grandma's funeral, my cousin Peter, he's married to my cousin where they had raisins for snacks. I saw, I got to see him do this with his son. His son was like having a meltdown, right? And he, and he, he took him aside and he sat him in a chair off to the side of the wedding party. And I, I was just watching him. He didn't know I was watching him, but I was just observing how he, how he did it. And he took this son of his and he just, he sat there and he reasoned with him and he explained to him and he made him slow down and he, and he talked him through. He says, this is what's expected of you. This is what you're doing. So there's a problem, you know, what's going on? And he talked through, it was probably, I would say 15 minutes but this dad, this Peter, he saw that it was so important that he stopped everything else that he was doing and he sat down and he gave undivided attention to this son of his to do this. The raisins. <laughs> Next word is admonition. So admonition, this has to do more of like the, the, the speaking element. Uh, the Greek word, uh, uh, I can't really pronounce it. It's like nouthesia, nouthesia, which means uh, to include encouragement and giving advice. It's the type of guidance done through words. If the training is more of like the disciplinary, this is giving the words. This is instructing and encouraging. Encouraging. Um, this is not only encouraging when something is done right, but it's expressing disapproval when something is done wrong, saying, no, that is not, that's not right. That's not how we do things. It's, it's both of those things. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5 through 8, this is what God, uh, this is how the Israelites were to raise their kids. It says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house or when you walk by the way, 
When you lie down and when you rise up, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You ever see Jews wear a phylactery between their eyes? That's what they're, they took this literally and they put scriptures in these little boxes and they strap it around their head called a phylactery. They took this literally. They said, have these things between your eyes. But notice what he says there. He says, God is talking to these fathers, these parents. He's saying, you should teach them diligently all of these things, the word of God, diligent teaching. He says, you shall talk of them when you sit down in your house. When you're at the dining room table, you should be talking about the things of the Lord. He says, and when you walk by the way, you're out going for a walk with your children to talk with them about things of the Lord. And when you lie down, it sounds like people putting their kids to bed at night and like, you know, people go in there and pray for them and stuff like that and tell them, tell me a bedtime story. Oh, okay, let's talk about David and how David, you know, took on the Goliath and, oh, let's talk about Jonah tonight or, you know, why don't we talk, you know what I mean? That's the idea. Going on later in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 20, he says, When your son asks you in time to come, what's the meaning of these testimonies, these statutes, these judgments? In other words, what does this word of God thing mean to you, Dad? Then you shall say to your son, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt. In other words, you know, the fathers were to recount the Exodus story about how the Jews came out of slavery. But the parallels to us... Dad, why do we read this word? I'll tell you, because I was dead in trespasses and sins, and so was your mother, and so were you. But God sent his only son that he would die and take the penalty for sin upon himself, and so on, right? And notice the last part of verse 4. He says, of the Lord. He says, but bring them up in the training and admonition, that's the discipline and the verbal uh, encouragement and instruction, of the Lord. Children are to obey as they obey the Lord. Fathers are to teach the commandments of the Lord. They're in the Lord. The Lord is to be the center of the Christian house. Second Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction and in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Let me conclude here. Children are to be obedient to parents. Fathers are to bring their kids up in the Lord. Now, parents are to demand obedience. The idea that is so popular in society today is just letting children do whatever they want, and that's not biblical. There, is, there are actually child psychology books that say that you shouldn't really stifle your kids' creativity. You should just let them kind of do what they want, and you've seen that, and that's not a biblical idea. The failure to bring kids up in the Word of God is reflected in this mass exodus of kids leaving the church in the United States. More and more people leave church, more and more youth leave church all the time, and it's because they're not being taught what to do. They're just being, if anything, they're just being told to go, and that's it. You'll go, or, or else you'll be in trouble. I'll take your video games away from you. It's like, well, that may be good to get them out the door, but you've got to sit down and explain to them why you go. You've got to sit down and explain to them who Jesus is, why you've given your life, why you've done something so serious with your life as to call yourself a Christian, right? I want to read this quote that I found from Susanna Wesley. I brought it to put on the screen. Man, this could have been a sermon itself. 
Susanna Wesley, John Wesley's mother, father of the Methodist movement. The parent who studies to subdue self-will in his child works together with God in the renewing and saving of a soul. The parent who indulges it does the devil's work, makes religion impractical, salvation unattainable, and helps damn his child's soul and body forever. In other words, you've got to figure out how to get this self-will and rebellion out of kids, make them obedient. Otherwise, you're doing the devil's work <laughs> and you're setting them up. Fathers, I want to leave you with this thought. Parents, this is heavy, man. I, this, this is the thought that just stuck in my mind the whole Psychologists have coined this term called transference. Has anybody ever heard it? So transference, really the idea is, is that you know, psychologists, all, they've noticed this phenomenon that when somebody comes in and talks about God and spiritual things, they, they know this connection of what an adult, how they view God when they're an adult is like directly related to how their parents treated them. Transference. They say in your family of origin, the first five years of your life, how you relate to authority figures shapes how you view God later on in life. That's a huge thing. When your kid starts hearing that God is their father, they're going to think of you. They're going to picture you. As a pastor over the last 11 years, trying to tell some people that God is their father, they're like, I hope not. They have the hardest time in the world receiving God as a loving father because they know nothing about a loving father. And that's the hardest thing to try to convince somebody that God's a good, good, loving father. Even though you sing that song, you're a good, good father, you're like, I, what's that mean? He didn't beat me up tonight? Yeah, you took a little break from TV to say something to me? I really want to encourage you, men. You're in a church. You're in the Word. You're in prayer. You're serving. You're singing. You're giving. You're doing what God's calling you to do. Parents, you need to be well-versed in the Scriptures so you can bring your children up in the training and admonition of the Lord. You know, when Paul wrote this in the Roman world, this was completely radical. Children had no rights in this world at all whatsoever. They were considered little more than property, especially if you were a girl. And so for Paul to come in and say, fathers, you know, do this. Don't exasperate your kids. Don't be this harsh dictator, you know, dictator authoritarian figure, but love them. It's completely revolutionary. And all of this points to Jesus, right? Remember when Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. What's he like? The Bible says a smoldering wick he will not quench. He's gentle. He's kind. He's long-suffering. He's merciful. He's wise, consistent. He's unchanging. He's always ready to listen. He's a provider. He's a protector. He's a defender. He's a lover of the soul. He laid down his life for his people. Fathers, by the power of his Holy Spirit and his word operating in and through your life, he wants you to represent him. Very difficult, and everybody will fall short doing this. But man, what a privilege. Never take it for granted to be a father. You have one time while the kids are young. Cherish it, my brothers.